My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 88 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! <laughs> uh, yeah, man. This is uh, yeah. 88. It's a good number. Um, or reminder it's a very of, bad. Or it's a very bad number. <laughs> or it's a bad number, but it's also a reminder of the halcyon days of hardcore. Revelation Records. Spirit of 88. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, this is one of my many gripes I have against um, not the the specter of actual white supremacy, which is present in every aspect of American life, right. but the more specific foot soldiers. Let's call them the troglodyte warriors of a more specific like white power movement. The fact that they've stolen eighty eight from us that you yeah. just can't say spirit of eighty eight anymore because that for a lot of people means. Um, Heil Hitler instead of uh, Youth of Today. Right. Uh, right to be fair, right. I'm not a huge Youth of Today fan, but I like a lot of bands from '88. So you know, I'd love to have a Youth of Today <laughs> thing that says '88 on it. Only now it would mean something else entirely for a big chunk of voters, apparently. Yeah, well, apparently a bunch of voters that we thought were gone but are still here. Turns yeah, out, like also running for office and shit. Yeah. Fuck. All right. Well, still. Oh, we shouldn't have started on such a bummer. Hey, uh, <laughs> on this very special episode, uh, well, we're going to spend a chunk of time talking about a, a screening we both went to, the director's cut of The House at Jack Bell. But our, our main topic is actually a, a bit of a tribute to a, a fallen uh, hero of the streaming age, Filmstruck. Um, so, actually, the, this episode is a total bummer. Yeah, that's true. God dang it. Yeah, That's it okay. It's a bummer in a sweet way because... A, we will endorse you uh, now and at the end to sign up for Criterion Channel uh, if you care about these right. movies because that's another opportunity. And B, I mean, as much as it is a bummer that it went away, I think we also want to focus more on the fact that we really appreciate it and that um, we picked a couple of movies that we think kind of represent what we love about it. Uh, I picked uh, Paris, Texas by uh, – uh, so is it – it's Vim Vendors, right? Vim Vendors, yeah. Yeah, by, by I Vim, love by Vim, Vim Vendors. vendors. And then what did you pick, Josh? I picked It's Always Fair Weather, directed uh, by Stanley Donan and also co-directed by Gene Kelly, who's the star of the movie. Now, I, I, you know, we'll get into this, but I want to say up front, this is going to be a fun episode because my experience with this sort of movie, the... Uh, the 1950s the, musical. Yeah, the this sort of dance epic musical thing with Gene Kelly in it. No experience whatsoever, but... Uh, there is one musical sequence in the film that I was very familiar with. Do you know why? The roller skating one? Yeah. No, I don't know why. It features prominently in uh, a little film called Leon. 
the professional. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's obsessed with that, and he goes to see it, and um, they even have a specific musical cue, which is actually the beginning of the song. Uh, I assumed it was the end of the song because I had never actually seen the movie. Um, but that I've seen that movie enough times that the that musical cue was in my head when it came on. I was like, oh, oh. like <laughs> I, I felt something because he had of an emotional scene. connection to that scene. Yeah. So ah. uh, bef- before we start the main part of our episode here and get into our world famous patented copyrighted segment before that (laughs) before that we uh we should thank all of our patreon subscribers now if you are a patreon subscriber hopefully you noticed maybe you didn't that we've uh changed a bunch of our settings uh and we definitely want to bring attention to that if you're not a patreon subscriber that you should go check it out basically our benefits prior were very stuff focused and the reality is that uh, we don't think most people listen to the show to get stuff. That's not really why you came here, was uh, for things. Um, and so we have decided instead to start putting content up on the site, uh, which is something we kind of promised from day one and just never really followed through on. Um, and now it's it's part of our mandate. This is, this is why you sign up for Patreon to get that uh, bonus content. Uh, we will still have some stuff. There is still stuff available, but it's it's less stuff-focused than it was uh, prior. Uh, if you do like stuff, though, you can sign up, and we still have T-shirts available um, and some other fun things. But uh, we are hopefully going to be populating that Patreon with some content. As we said before, um, we were trying to figure out how to work the RSS feed, so that's just been a bit of a delay on our end. But uh, the first thing that we'll have up are some interesting interviews that uh, our own Nick Spacek did with a variety of uh, musical personalities. Um, I know there's uh, a, ver- a few there. I think the first one we're putting up is actually with a member of the band Nightbirds, who I particularly love. So, uh, yeah, we-, we hope you'll check that out. And thank you to everyone who supports us there, whether you support us for $3 or for $20. Um, although, you know, I we always say that, and that's true because whatever you give us we appreciate but the one or two people who actually give us twenty dollars you are saints god damn yeah the heavens i don't know how why you do that, but, <laughs> but I thank very you much so much it. yeah thank you thank uh, you josh who else do we want to thank uh we definitely want to thank our sponsors xlvacx.com the uh screen printers to the world from right yeah, out of the lehigh valley yeah lehigh valley apparel creations are uh, they are the premier premier screen printers of the Lehigh Valley. Uh, and, and I got to say, you know, now that I'm uh, not working there, I can uh, endorse them without having to insult Chris Reject. And it's really great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are the most professional. They are uh, the most uh, personal. Um, they really combine these two things that you want in customer service. You want to be able to trust that what you are trying to do will happen in a professional way, but you want people who will work with you, who are personal, who who are people, and not just like a corporation. Who are people people. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, xlvacx.com for all of your screen printing needs. Say you're promoting for a band or you're promoting for a podcast or whatever have you. They'll work with you. And do they do the design there too, Liam? Yeah, they have a design on designer on staff. Now, you know, of course, if you have a design ready to go, that's great. Uh, but Brad will take what you have and try to give you something you will be very, very happy with. And I've seen some of the stuff he's been doing lately. It is 
actually amazing work. It is not just, he's not there just putting a logo on something. He really is putting together some serious things for you. So uh, hit them up, xlvacx.com. Uh, get something printed, y'all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be happy. So before we jump into our patented segment, Josh, right. I just haven't talked to you in a little bit. How are you doing? What's going on with you besides... Uh, the things that you love and don't love? I've uh, just been real busy doing a lot of Krosky stuff and uh, just working really hard at work, just making sure that, uh, you know, working on certain projects uh, pertaining to mental health and the personnel, staff training kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, that's been taking up a lot of my time. And, uh, you know, hanging with Leilani, just doing house stuff too. We're leaving for Florida in a little bit because I have to be the best man in one of my uh, friend's weddings. He was my roommate in college, so... Going to Florida, guys. So if you have any suggestions on what I should do when I'm out there, we'll be in Orlando. So holler at your boy. Um, I mean, I definitely, I definitely recommend you don't get eaten by an alligator. I'll That's try, about all I got. I'll try really hard not to get eaten by an alligator. But uh, yeah, you know, Melani's in school, right? She's in in grad school for her MBA, so it's really difficult to like have vacation time until like she's done in August. You know, so we're taking advantage of this having to be in Florida. For, uh, you know, and Gio, my, my friend who's getting married, he's like one of my dear friends, so I feel honored to be his best man. But also, I get to be out there with my wife, and we get to have a little bit of sunshine, so I'm pretty psyched on that. But uh, other that's, than that, what? Go ahead. I was going to say, that's great. I'm, I'm, I, I, I know it's for a very specific reason, but I'm still entirely jealous, just, just for the fact that I assume it will be warmer there than it is here. Yeah, yeah, I hope it's like shorts weather. I don't know, I looked, it was like 70-something. I was like, oh, snap, this is happening to my legs. Holla. That's going to be dope. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, other than that, I've been really working hard on this Krosky stuff. We've been working on uh, new material, and um, it's difficult because, you know, as a songwriter, as like a lyricist and all this other stuff, you don't want to ever, like, I never want to think of myself as like, oh, yeah, I write lyrics, I'm a poet, like, hoity-toity kind of thing like very like you know humble i guess i don't man that sounded fucking not humble but i don't like thinking of myself as like you know this like mouthpiece to a unit kind of thing but um i definitely have been struggling lately with writing stuff that i'm happy with and i understand mm. that as a creative process everybody has these blocks that they have to fight through and um it's not always easy right like everybody's process has the notes that they have to hit or has the moments that have to be there in order for the process to be fulfilling and creative in ways that the, that the writer is happy with. But um, lately I've just been having um, a little bit of a block and it's been kind of difficult. But um, are you familiar with the Nick Cave Red Hand Files? Yes. So his latest one was about writing. And um, oh, he was okay. talking... It was very, uh, I mean, it's short. All these things are short. For listeners who don't know, I'm a huge fan of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and he has recently done this thing called the Red Hand Files, where if you sign up for the email, um, you can ask him questions, and apparently he's reading all the questions that are pouring in, and he's trying to answer them in earnest. So uh, one of the last questions was about writing, and he talks about being present and just being available for ideas to manifest, and it resonated pretty hard with me. So I'm going to try and just like focus on the idea that he had in the last file about just like being present for ideas to manifest and being like he said. One of the things that he said in it was that um, ideas never fail to come to the prepared mind, and I thought that was really interesting. So I'm going to try and 
try and uh, hew down my process to a little bit more regular and I don't know. I guess this stuff is not very interesting, but it's also the truth. That's what I've been dealing with. How about no, you, Leo? I, I actually do think it's interesting, and I think the the only pushback I have for you is I think a lot of times part of your personality is is relying on being a humble person about being someone who doesn't make too much of themselves, and, and that's part of the reason people are endeared towards you. However, uh, being an artist uh, means you can't be humble, period. Yeah, just no. You're, you're definitely putting not yourself wrong out there and you're saying I have something to say that people want to hear and then the only humility comes in saying that there's a limitation to what you can do. So like yeah, there's some amount of humility about like I know that what I'm doing isn't perfect or I know that what I'm doing has aspects that some people will love and some people will hate or there's a lot of places where you can bring humility in, but I worry that you uh, embrace so much humility that then you keep yourself from being able to be as creative as you could be. And that is not good because there has to be some ego. There has to be some amount of pride for you to even go to the effort of putting it out there. Well, you, you know, know what I mean? The funny thing about it is that the pride comes in the fact that the subject matter that I write about specifically with cross keys is my friends. I write songs about my friends. And like there has been no mistake about that. That's what every song has been about so far. And um, the pride comes in the fact that I know these people, that I know you, that I know Jeff Pelly, that I know BK. You know what I mean? And that's what these songs are about. Oh, my God. Is there a song about me? Oh, it's coming, baby. Don't worry oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. No, the current one that I'm working on is about a friend of the podcast and former guest, Grace Kim. And uh, she's the best. It is called Times of Grace. And uh, it's I think it's a good song, but it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think it's good. But is it is it good? Like, I don't know. Like, so I'm struggling with that particular song right now. But I do think that we are at the top of our game right now as as a band. This is the best band that I've ever been in as a lyricist and a singer. This is the highest that I've managed to achieve so far. And uh, I'm really proud of what we what we have. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, I know everybody should be proud of their band and all that stuff, but I definitely think we fucking kill. So, you know, I, I'm pretty excited that once all this stuff is done and we put it out, that people will respond to it the way they've responded to the stuff so far, which is like, oh, yeah, I have a friend just like that. You know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. spreading love, man. That's what it is. So, yeah, you know. Well, but yeah, am, but yeah, there is I'm, a so there is a Liam O'Donnell song coming. Just oh so God. you know, dude, uh, it's going to be I'll, so good. I'm going to rub it in everyone's face. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Um Yo, I am very proud of you as well. And I think, don't feel bad. This is this is what you're doing. And I think this is a good thing to share with people. And I'm sure there are people listening who themselves are going through some sort of writing process. And they, it's helpful to hear kind of what you're doing. Um, I'm in this, you know, I am transitioning from uh, LVAC to trying to substitute teach. And I, I do this to myself a lot, Josh, in that um, I put myself in dumb situations in an effort to try to be like nice or whatever, you know? So, um, I really needed some time to get paperwork done. You know, there's, as you are well aware, a mountain of paperwork to get yeah. done in order to substitute teach. And I really should have like sort of scaled down my hours at LVAC. So I could have gotten more of it done before I did the training and that just didn't happen. And then I stopped working right at the holiday. So then a lot of paperwork couldn't get done over the holiday weekend and then last week i had training two days in a row so you know uh i just feel like uh 
I just timed it very wrong in the sense that if I had all my stuff in, I could start working. Like I could have been working today. I could I could have been out of school today making money. And instead, I had to. I'm waiting for a doctor's appointment, and I'm waiting for. There's things that won't change. So it's a good two to three weeks for me, not with any income, and that's not great for me or my finances. Uh, I'm not very good with money, and so um, going this long without more of it is not easy for my bank account. Um, so that, that was bad, but all the training has gone really well. And, and, and I am getting the paperwork done. It's not like there's any huge obstacles. It's just, you know, you have to get a physical and that takes a while. And I had to schedule a fingerprinting and that takes a bit. So, uh, it was just little things like that that were kind of getting in the way. Yeah. So that's a bummer. On the other hand, uh, we recorded the, uh, first episode of the flight stuff, uh, which so good. Uh, Cinepunks listeners uh, and and people who pay attention to the website will hear more about uh, soon. We still have to edit it and really get it out there, but uh, we're doing a Alpha Flight centered comic book podcast with uh, it's me and Adriana Gober, and we added Doug. We originally uh, solicited Doug Tilly, uh, my co-host for Eric Roberts uh, is the fucking man, um, purely to give us some Canada insight, Canada facts. Uh, and then we just you know, we're like Doug is great. We should just have him be a, a host on the show. So we're all in it together. Three hosts. It should be good. Um, we 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 covered uh, issues one and two in the first episode, and I think I think it went really well. I think the the chemistry's there, and I think it's going to be a fun conversation. And we're looking into the future to like add guests. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of indigenous issues in Alpha Flight, and so we'd love to bring in some uh, uh, indigenous scholars that. Um, Doug knows through the university system up there and um, just other people who are interested, especially as we get into some other topics, uh, uh, but also just people who are super nerds for Alpha Flight. <laughs> if you uh, if you want to come on and talk, that, that, that'd be really cool. Um, we haven't set up a scheduling system for that yet. I think it is going to be more focused on the host than like guests every episode, but um, we, we do want to get some people on there. And um, once it comes out, we're, we want to, we want people's feedback. We, all of us are interested in Alpha Flight, and I am the, sort of the resident, quote-unquote, expert, and I don't think I'm actually an expert about on Alpha Flight. I'm just would, someone would you be Would you be talking to Canadian experts as well? Well, you know, Doug is Canadian, but <laughs> I don't know if he's an expert on Canada. I don't, I don't know how that works, but uh, Yo, yeah, we're going to get some Canadian people on. Let me just say, uh, we also, uh, since we last recorded Cinepunks, we had recorded an episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Uh, sure. The other podcast that Liam does with Doug Tilly, who is our tech guru and all-around great dude. And I got to say, that was the longest conversation I ever had with Doug Tilly, and it was awesome. I love that guy, I think. Yeah, did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. And, I, you know, I have this thing. You know, it's a self-conscious thing. I try not to listen to episodes that we've recorded because it bums me out because I always think like I sound like a dumb dumb. You know what I mean? And like you don't sound like a so dumb-dumb. I listened to the episode of Eric Roberts is a fucking man. And uh you know what? I thought it was a good episode. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think I think Doug does a good job. When you have three people all Skyping in, you need a ringleader to sort of control conversation so that we're not all just not talking over top of each other or whatever. Yeah. And Doug does a really good job of that, which like is a skill we haven't really figured out yet. But we're getting there. We're not as yeah, we're not totally. as cool as Doug, Liam. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing is we bring cool to we're definitely cooler than Doug. Doug is like a big loser. So we really that's sort of what we bring to the table is that we're actually cool people that you'd want to spend time with. But Doug is good at what he does, which is maybe not what we can always say. So, yeah, which might know. be 
uh, a little bit more important than being cool. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. Who knows? Who knows? Um, okay. Well, I know that Doug was very excited to have you on, and I was very excited to have you on. Although having you two connect at all, you know, you didn't meet in real life, but you met sort of virtually, is like kind of crazy for me because it's kind of like having two girlfriends meet each other. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh no, what if they're both going to discuss something personal about me that I don't want people to know? It's like a big thing or whatever. Uh, but it was actually really, I thought it was really great, and I thought you did a great job. I know recording over Skype is kind of new for you, and I know that you're not used to having a conductor who sort of uh, controls the conversation, but I felt like you were great and you said lots of great things and, and you had nothing to, to worry about, I think at all. Yeah. I think it was a lot more relaxed. I, I don't know if I would have done as well on a podcast that didn't have you on it. <laughs> like if I was a guest on another show that wasn't Liam related, I'd be like, like that. But uh, you know. I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I kind of like, I've gotten used to being on Doug's show, uh, but it is hard sometimes because, you know, I it's weird to be sort of virtually connected. It's weird to sort of stay paying attention when you're virtually connected. And it's hard because sometimes what we're dealing with is stuff that is not actually interesting. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> some of the Eric Roberts movies we cover are hard. They're hard. Yeah. That, so. I got to say Descending Angel was not my favorite movie. But that said, it was really fun talking about it with you guys. What I thought was so funny about that is it's compared to a lot of the movies we covered, it's a fucking masterpiece. Like, <laughs> that was just when you were like, I don't know, guys, this movie's bad. I was like, bro, uh, talk, a talking cat or uh, Bigfoot versus DB Cooper or Dark Moon Rising. Just wow. just run some of these past your eyeballs and then we'll talk. I mean, you could. Bigfoot versus DB Cooper is on our super secret plex that no one's supposed to know about. You should run that past your eyeballs and see how you feel about uh, what I've been dealing with on that podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I could deal with it, man. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm I am prepared. I will sacrifice my body for this. So you I would know, just say whatever. just I would say just fast forward through it. Just watch five minute chunks and, and you'll get an idea. Um, OK, <laughs> so I think it's time now for what is our truly unique and patented segment something that i think you came up with if i'm correct it's i believe a... i was the progenitor of the naming of this yes. world famous yes patented segment that no one yes. should steal no whacking, whacking on, on track, track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right y'all you know what you know what audience we're recording this over skype okay give us give us some Give some leeway here. We're trying. This is also my first Skype just me without Liam here thing happening. Actually, no, this is the second one given the Doug Tilly thing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm doing okay. I think I'm doing okay. Hopefully this isn't it. fucked up. Hopefully I'm not fucking it up without knowing right now. And I'll send the file over and Jake is going to be like, yo, thumb fingers over there. Fuck the shit up. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm so bad. We have to do this again. And wouldn't be the first lost episode, but. I just don't want it to be a lost episode. That's all I'm saying. I believe it would be the third, I think. Lost oh, episode. my God. That's so many lost episodes. Uh, uh, sweet. All right. So Jesus. whacking on track. Um, you want to start for me there, buddy? Uh, yeah. Lately, uh, I've been having a lot of on track records that I've been really into. I'm into that, man. Oh, man. The new Markman. Do you like the Markman at all? So I am... Um, a mild fan of the Markman, and I and I don't say that to disrespect the Markman at all. It's just a reality that that style is not a, a a clear hit for me. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, it's I not, hear you. 
It's not like, oh, I think this stuff sucks. I wouldn't listen to it if I thought it sucked. But it, it it's it's a big wall for them to get over. And they get over it enough that I like it, but they don't get it over enough that I'm like a huge fan. Oh, man. I really love anything that the, the main guy does. Um, what's his name? Uh, Burke. Uh, his name is Jeff Burke. He does this band. He also does Radioactivity. He also does a band called Loose Balloons. I love everything that that dude puts out, in particular, just the sound of his uh, his guitar. He uses like a very specific guitar that emits a very specific sound, and I love that sound. So anything that this guy does, in my mind, is gold. So this record, the latest Markman record, um, it is called um, On the Other Side. I think it's really, really good. That's definitely been a... Uh, been helping me out a lot lately uh also uh there's a new black metal record by a band called necros christos uh and it's called oh. yeah domedon doxomedon and uh i don't know if you know do you know this band at all necros I've christos i've definitely heard of them and i've seen people posting about it but i haven't listened to it yeah uh, my, my friend uh and friend of the show paul for, uh, who used to be in no more black and is in um uh, New York black metal band Black Anvil he uh, suggested Nine Graves to me from uh, a couple years ago and I had listened to that a lot and I was really into it and then they just put out this new record and uh, it's 27 jams it's pretty long but uh, most of them are pretty short it's a pretty good record though and uh, as far as I know they're not racist so uh, I'm into it I, I definitely appreciate this record a lot I've, I've given it a couple spins so far and uh, really into it but let me tell you man there are two things that came out that I've been killing. The first one, Jim Henson's Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas soundtrack has come out. The one by Paul Williams, who you remember from Whoa. Phantom of the Par- Yeah, dude, it's. I don't know when the last time you saw that movie was, but for me, it's quintessential Christmas movie watching, and I adore it very much. And so, you know, I, I don't think I've I don't think I've seen it in a really long time. I feel like I need to like do a, a viewing of that very soon. Yeah, man, especially that you're you know, I think your daughter might like it because it's singing otters. Who doesn't like singing otters? You know what I'm saying? Sure. So that shit's fucking awesome. And then um, my man Black Thought, he put out a new record called Streams of Thought Volume 2. Um, and this follows his, uh, he did Streams of Thought Volume 1, and that had like five songs on it. This one has nine songs, and it just picks up where that last record left off. And that dude is a fucking genius. I don't know what your thoughts are on The Roots or Black Thought. I know you like The Roots, but man, this Black Thought solo stuff is just raw MCing like I love. And it is think, fucking awesome. I think, I think Black Thought is one of the more underrated MCs uh, kind of of all time. Uh, and and not like it's not like no one appreciates him, but he should be in the conversation of like all time genre defining greats, as far as I'm concerned. Hell but yeah! I get I get that like maybe the roots haven't had the broad impact that people look for for that sort of thing, but you know the the sort of people that 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 um, get mentioned when you start talking about great MCs, I think Black Thought stands up to. Any single one of them. He's, Dude, he's, he is so he's possibly awesome. Possibly my favorite of of all time. Um, it, it would take me a while to make that determination, but I'm I'm leaning that way with him. So yeah, I also like both those releases a lot. Um, I appreciate that volume two is more of an album than an EP, uh, but I think they're both really good. Also, two other records: uh, Pathogen X by Rashomon. It's uh, on the uh, Japanese hardcore tip. Uh, it's pretty crusty. It's pretty fun. 
And then also the new record by Frederico Durand. Do you know him at all? Nope. He does like uh, atmospheric, ambient kind of music. The record is called Pequeñas Melodias. And um, he's done records with Chihei Hatakiyama and like other like uh, cranky style ambient um, recordings. And this one is just like the other ones that came before it are, is just blissfully gorgeous. And um, I really, really adore that. I've been listening to that a lot lately. So those have been on track for me. Uh, also on track was uh, a thing that you and I had done last week with uh, fellow Cinepunks, uh, Adriana Gover and John Wren. And that is we went to Bethlehem for the one night only screening of the unrated version of The House That Jack Built, the new movie by Lars von Trier. House That Jack yeah. Built, controversial film. Controversial film. I mean, it, Lars von Trier is nothing if not controversial. He's definitely a serial button pusher. But um, I enjoyed this movie. The more that I got away from it, the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? I think I really did invest myself in that movie in a way that uh, I truly enjoyed. And I think that uh, it's a difficult movie, for sure. It's definitely more of a pure horror movie uh, that I haven't seen from Lars von Trier since uh, his early stuff, like in Kingdom and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I really liked it. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's like the self-effacing um, artistic statement that resonates with me as a person that, you know, a lot of times has a hard time dealing with the output that I create. My problem is it doesn't – it feels self-serving. It feels more self-serving than it does self-effacing. It feels not sincere in some ways. Or let me put it more this way. It feels like um, he's on such a self-destructive spiral as a human that he is fully aware of what uh, basically monster he can be. But like many addicts and uh, people dealing with mental health issues, he's also fully accepted it as a thing he can't and nor does he want really to change. And so this film is just sort of like a... It's beautiful because it's 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 who I am sort of thing, you know, or it's deep because of who I am. Um, I, I think it would have worked better as an essay than it would have mm. as a as a fully invested film. Um, on the other hand, I have been thinking about it a lot and I definitely enjoyed large portions of it. It's it's funny when we left the theater, your wonderful wife <laughs> said I said, what did you think of the movie? And she said. Well, it's like uh, seeing a friend who you mostly like uh, jerk off for three hours. You know, it, it's kind of sad. I believe the direct quote was watching a friend who you kind of like masturbate furiously for three hours and not yes. coming. Oh, and yeah, to no climax. <laughs> yeah. to, to, and and uh, oh, yeah, I, I thought she said maybe the, he was crying, too, but it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> point, point being that um, it's kind of funny, but it's really sad, and you, you don't really want to see it. But I think that's my problem, is that it was funny, and it was, because it's Lars von Trier, it's, it's kind of beautiful at times, and kind of really well done, and, and even well thought out. There's just, you know, okay, so one thing I think people have gotten from listening to this show, uh, maybe you're a new listener, um, but if, if if you've listened to a few, you, you you probably know this, and Josh, you know this about me as well. I I'm not a big fan of the term pretentious as an insult, 
because um, I think a lot of things that uh, are good art are the are pretentious. Like they are, they have some sort of thing going on. There's some thought. There's some sort of uh, uh, I don't know, pretending to be something more than you are, and that's partly what makes art aspirational. You know. Mm-hmm. That being said, there's something about this that just felt like the worst case scenario of like intellectual pretentious sort of posing, you know, like there's just something about it that really bummed me out. But then again, another part of me goes, yeah, but it's supposed to bum you out. Like it's not you're not supposed to be high five it on your way out of the theater. Like, you know, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I'm more conflicted. I'm OK. So. I, I'm definitely more conflicted than people who hated it because I don't think I hated it. I don't think I even close to hated it. I think I liked it more than I didn't. But I'm still conflicted than people who just are like, oh, it's great. Even as it's even as it's self-indulgent and stupid, it's also great. There's some part of me that isn't okay with that because it just what it is and what it represents uh, on almost a larger scale makes me unhappy on certain levels and I'm still sorting through that because I don't have a definitive idea of like what does it actually accomplish like what does it actually do as a piece of art I think it's too complicated in a lot of ways for me to make a final decision but when I have a final decision about how I feel about how it functions <laughs> that will make that will make me decide if I love it or if I kind of hate it if that does that right, make sense right right yeah no it makes perfect sense uh, th- I see, mean here's the thing though I took it to be like out of his entire oeuvre of movies that we've seen, I kind of took this one to be the biggest fuck you joke, like the satirical malignancy. And right. in that, like the unintentional comedy is totally like the vein that I follow through this movie. And I think that that's a really bold thing to do as an artist, regardless of, uh, of, of um, how you feel the, the self-facing dissection to be i think that uh the 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 strange and warped humor of it and the distance that that humor gives you is what gives this movie some type of gravitas you know what i mean like it's the thing that resonates to me as like again a self-deprecating uh tome does that make any sense am i making any sense here yeah but there's a there's a way of acknowledging your own complicity that also lets you off the hook and doesn't take responsibility. And that's my, Uh, there's a part of my anxiety here that is like, um, he's acknowledging the ways it feels to me. And again, this is a little bit of projection, but just, you know, reading the text, what I get out of it is perhaps an acknowledgement of his own participation through his art and through who he is as a human in various forms of like, you know, basically kind of like patriarchy, violence, whatever, you know, a various kind of like European masculinity, which he doesn't want, which he thinks he's above, but he's not above, you know, yeah, very clearly is not above that. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, but even in making a movie about that, it feels my worry is that it's um, it's also acknowledging that any kind of apology is self-serving, you know. And yet it's still making that apology in some ways, or maybe not apology, but explanation. And that kind of, I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't, <laughs> I, I worry about the levels of self-serving that it is. Again. Um, to be fair, this, I'd be worried if, if you weren't uncomfortable. 
Right, totally. Well, and that's the thing. When I see people who are just like, yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. I'm like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? Fuck? Yeah. I, I mean, okay, I will say this. When people talk about the extremity of this film, um, what they're not referring to is often the on-screen depicted violence. And if they if that is what they are referring to, then they haven't watched that many horror movies. Yeah, there for are sure. A f- there are a few very extreme moments, but none of them are so extreme that you could say convincingly to me, I've never seen that before. Right. Unless what you're saying is you don't watch a lot of horror movies or a lot of sort of extreme movies at all. Because I don't think it pushes the – it doesn't push to me the boundaries in the sense of – what it's the, depicting of the visual Literally. horror, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even like the end, like the the piece de resistance, the house built of corpses. Like even that had me just like, okay, I get it. Like it didn't. the The real thing that really bugged me out was just all the implied violence and all of the. Um, I don't know what the word is. It's a very cruel movie. There's yeah, no that's it. even in even in even in a lot of your most violent horror movies. There's still a sense of humanity underneath, and this movie does not have that at all. Uh, not and, at all. And on per- on purpose. It's that's the point. Is that you're su- he's supposed to be as disgusting a version of what he's is as possible, um, and and sort of the you know again, it's not that I think von Trier thinks of himself as literally doing violence, but the idea that he's using people for his own self and, and and in an exploitative way i think is what the film is referring to so right right, right. i mean again it's oh, it's so good it's there's so <laughs> many parts of it that are so good there are also parts of it that i don't know if they totally work but that's a von Trier movie i mean yeah i'm i'm not sure if everything in the end works perfectly well I would agree with that. Makes. Although I some was of them, really... I think work really well, but I don't know that they all work well. But that's that's a Von Trier movie. I was really happy to see Bruno Ganz in this movie. Um, I love him. Do you love Bruno Ganz or do you like Bruno Ganz at all? I like Bruno Ganz. Man, I loved him in Wings of Desire. You know, I thought I think he's like an, a great actor, and seeing him in this movie in his old age it was pretty awesome. I gotta say, made me happy. Yeah, just, I mean, just, I despite the context. I think, regardless, uh, the performances in this movie are actually really great. I don't yeah. think anybody. There was no part where I was like, "Oh, so this part's okay." You know, I felt like the 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 talent on screen was compelling. I agree. I agree. Even Matt Dillon, man, Matt Dillon's awesome. Yeah, it's time. It's time for a Matt Dillon renaissance. Renaissance. Do you think he needs a Travolta backswing? I don't think this is the first time. I think Matt Dillon has done a lot of roles recently. By recently, I mean the last decade that were supposed to bring him back. They're supposed to be his Travolta moment, and it's never happened. I don't know why. I don't know that this is the movie because I think a lot of people aren't going to see this movie. Yeah, definitely but, not but the I movie. I think his performance is the performance that should get people to talk about him again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That was on track. the 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 one thing that I do have that is whack is me getting to Bethlehem that involved a uh, Greyhound bus ride that was not pleasant, and then a consequent $50 lift ride from Doylestown to Bethlehem, and a very kind driver by the name of Ramon. And uh, Ramon, if you're listening to this, again, a million thanks for saving my ass and getting me to the movie. That's all. Oh, man. was Was it quite an ordeal? It sounded like quite an ordeal. It was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> it was terrible. Greyhound sucks. Before but, uh, that, before that lift ride, did you have any idea how far Bethlehem was from Doylestown as a non-driver? I knew it was about an hour away. Yeah, it's yeah. not. 
It's not close. It's you no, think it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the way. And it's like, nope, no, you're not on the no. way. You're actually still far. I almost turned around, but then uh, I called you, and then I was like, yo, I got to meet up with – I'm not going to miss this fucking movie. And I didn't. That's called gumption, Liam. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you did it too because, honestly, like, if I hadn't been – you know, the training I'm doing, audience, for uh, the – the um, substitute teaching was in Doylestown. So I had just driven back and forth from Doylestown three days in a row. So then when I was like, maybe I should drive to Doylestown to get Josh and we could just skip the movie and just like go get dinner. Susan's like, you really want to drive to Doylestown again right now? And I was like, no. She's like, baby, just go to the movie. I was like, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Hell or high water, though. I was making it out to meet up with you and Adriana and Melani and Ren. And I, and I did it, by God. I did it. So. Yeah, there were a lot of people there. It was cool to see Albert. I think. Oh, it's good to meet Albert face to face for the first time. And I got to see some other people there who were in the uh, who are in the Lehigh Valley horror uh, Facebook group. Um, I don't think I met everybody, but I met a couple people, so that was cool. Yeah, it was just it was neat to be there. It was neat to see a sold out theater for a Lars von Trier premiere. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially like an almost three hour movie. That's like crazy. <laughs> It was a long flick, for sure, for sure. It's very but, long. I mean, I, I think, here's the thing. I cannot in good conscience, conscience recommend this movie. However, chances are if you want to see this movie, you already know what you're in for to some extent. Yeah. I will say, if you if you aren't familiar with horror movies and you're only familiar, familiar with Lars von Trier because of films like, you know, Breaking Melancholia, the Waves. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, Dancing in the Dark. These are all emotionally brutal movies, but they're not physically brutal. And the, the violence in the movie is for real, for real. It's not, I'm not trying to say there isn't brutal violence in the movie. All I'm saying is there were a few people there who were horror hounds who I think came out less out of an appreciation of Lars von Trier and more because they heard, this movie was so insane. <laughs> if you like American guinea pig movies, you're not going to be like, oh, if you're a fan of a Serbian film, you're Jesus not going to be Christ. like, oh, this is the movie that turns me on to Lars von Trier. It's just not. But I think if you are just a Lars von Trier head, there's a couple of moments of gore that might be more than you expect from Lars von Trier, even after Antichrist. Yeah. And, you know, I, but hey. It's good. I, I I think it's worth seeing it, even as someone who's not sure how I felt about it. Let's put it that way. I think that it's a movie that you should see if you like <laughs> Lars von Trier. That's what I think. If you don't, if you're not a Lars von Trier fan, this movie means nothing to you. Yeah, I think that's true. Especially for the Lars von Trier fan who's sat through a lot of his movies, this is like this is you need this. This is the this is the sort of. I don't want to say completion because I want to no. imagine he's going to make more stuff. It's like but. the cla- it's like the capstone to his like his his emotional carnage. Yeah, I feel. basically, yeah. So there you go. I mean, shit. If you sat through *Nymphomaniac*, you could definitely sit through this. Yeah. <laughs> if you sat through two parts of *Nymphomaniac*, you can definitely sit through this. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's a lot. It's violent times. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else for us, Josh? I'm good with both of those. How about you? You got any whacking on track for us? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I got to go first and foremost, as you did, with music for on track. Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of new stuff uh, simply out of trying to, like, think about, okay, what came out in 2018 that I might have missed? Two things I didn't miss, but they just came out recently. Uh, that band, Hardcore Band Illusion, put out an EP called Magic with a Smile. It's very... I don't know, crossovery, leeway. That's kind of popular right now. 
the dude's vocals are a lot more harsh than that kind of style usually gets. Um, so I might be maybe not giving it as much uh, respect as I should. But I, I mean, I like it. I just mean it. Those the riffage is that it's less like it's less like you know metalcore beat town riffage and more classic in my mind. Um, okay. And then that band Mind Force, who by the way shares a lot of members with Illusion. Uh, both of them are sort of just outside New York hardcore bands. Mind Force is definitely uh, a band that pays homage to Leeway, a little bit to Life of Agony, uh, but they're all guys, even though this is more of a crossovery style band, they're all dudes who grew up in a very tough scene. Anyone who knows about the Troy area scene, uh, they're not from Troy, but like they, they, they would have fit in with that. They've been in a bunch of these tougher bands. And so what I like about this band is they'll be doing a very classic, almost later 80s style, and then go into a very modern breakdown. And it doesn't, it's not jarring at all. It actually fits in a very sick sick way and also the album is called excalibur which i think is cool because that's a that's a nerdy name for what is, is kind of a tough band uh i don't know i think the, the last time we recorded did i mention that blood pressure record surrounded i believe that you did yes oh, okay then we'll skip we'll skip that someone else had mentioned it and i was like oh yeah i talked about that with liam oh okay so. okay okay uh, i just want to make you know i'm just trying to cover my bases here i know yeah, i covered man. uh cult leader i didn't get a chance though to mention uh, two other things that new outer heaven record, um, which is called realms of eternal decay. Uh, outer, heaven, outer heaven is from the area. They're death metal band. You know, I'm not, a, I, I, well, let's put it this way. They're a band that pulls from a lot of different genres. I think part of their stuff sounds like black and death. Some of their stuff sounds more doomy. Um, but they're definitely like a, a band that's mixing styles in a realm of things that if you don't like it, it all sounds the same to you. But if you do like it, you'll appreciate where they're drawing from, I think. Um, and I think it's I think it's really good. I think the record's really good. Uh, I'm not a huge metal person, but it's it really connected with me. And then Drug Church has a record out. I don't know how long it's been out, actually. I don't pay attention to them. Like it just that. recently came out, right? Did it recently come out? This, this album, I believe so. This album, Cheer... Here's here's what I'll say about Cheer, uh, because you know our listeners aren't all hardcore people. I think Drug right. Church market themselves as a hardcore punk band, but I think the music itself is actually more diverse than that. Even if there is still an intensity live that comes across as that sort of band, I think mm-hmm. again, not to say they aren't or they're not legit or you know people might take that in a negative way, and I don't mean it that way. I just mean that if you're someone for whom you're not sure that heavy is always your vibe. Drug Church isn't a heavy band. They're a band that's musically interesting that's still an intense band that I think brings hardcore uh, vibe to a music that is not necessarily, in my mind, traditional hardcore. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't want to overwhelm y'all with music recommendations, but two more things I think are worth mentioning. Uh, Funeral Funeral Chick uh chic oh chic chic. yeah that band rules that record crushes that record superstition it's how would you describe it josh oh man it's like crusty yeah but still like intense like it's not i don't know how i would describe it crusty pretty much covers it for me (laughs) it's it's like what i I love about it's got a bit of a harder edge for me than crusty it's definitely if i was gonna say crusty i would say crusty but crusty in the vein of like like an ass suck is crusty like that yeah but there's definitely some like there's a little bit of, of tragedy in there there's a little bit of yeah. like more japanese stuff in there i just think i, I just was really impressed and this man i had never heard of so i was glad to that yeah. someone recommended it and i checked it out uh uh 
actually uh, two more just real quick sorry i'm not trying to wear you guys out <laughs> one is uh, a band called section hate it's section Whoa. h8 it's uh the dude from um nomads out of california uh it's his new band it's it's more on the hardcore tip but it has some like kind of again crusty-ish influences maybe maybe crusty is the wrong word maybe more like d-beat there's some d-beat mixed in with their hardcore uh but mm. it's good i think it's really really good and i think mostly it's more of a traditional hardcore uh and then i really like i mentioned it before in here that band spiritual cramp they finally compiled their eps into one record uh called television that i think is worth it if, if you like kind of post-punk uh not quite new wave but you know that more aggressive post-punk sort of sound um but also you know with some funky stuff going on there i love the dude's vocals and uh they have some dub moments that i think are really fun and interesting so yeah i gotta recommend that uh in a in a, in a big old way um if you get a chance <laughs> check out that spiritual crap uh otherwise you know i i don't get to go to the movies a lot and we recorded pretty recently so i don't think i've seen anything in a theater what's going to happen is there's definitely something i've seen and i'm just forgetting but off the top of my head, I don't think I've seen anything in a theater recently that I need to talk about. But one thing I saw at home that I just missed when it was out is that movie Support the Girls. Did you see this? Oh, I did not see it yet. But I heard a uh, friend of the podcast, Dan Scully, loves it. And um, I've been meaning to watch it on his recommendation, but I just haven't seen it yet. It is undoubtedly in the running for me for movie of the year period wow i just watched it today so maybe the shine will wear off after some time but watching it today i loved it for those who don't know anything about it support the girls is a story of a manager of a let's call it scantily clad sports bar uh, somewhere I believe in Texas. Uh, Regina Hall is the main manager, and then there's a variety of uh, young women who work for her as these servers. Uh, Haley Lou Richardson as Macy, Dylan Galula as Janelle. Um, who else is in this? Uh, some other people I'd, I'd never seen before. Jermichael uh, Gray, um, or some people you might be familiar with. Leah Delaria from uh, Orange is the New Black. Um, anyways, it's a pretty diverse cast. Uh, Nicole and Yeja. There's some other people I'm forgetting. Anyways, um, I thought this movie was brilliant. It is, it's a very basic story. It's a story that I think doesn't get told enough about, uh, people who are kind of on the edge, people who are, um, uh, not living the most exciting urban lives that we tend to focus on. Whenever you have kind of a personal story in an indie film, it's always some like writers in New York or <laughs> tech programmers in San Francisco. No one's like, uh, you know, scantily clad sports bar waitresses <laughs> in Houston, outside Houston. Uh, but the, the film tells you a lot about these people in very subtle ways it's a very human film. It's a very compassionate film. It's a film that manages to have super hilarious moments while still telling a very touching, uh, 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 I don't even want to say sentimental, but it, it is sentimental, but it's sentimental in a very kind of realistic humanist way that I found, I don't know, it, it, it got it some serious emotions for me, emotions about the way that this country is organized socially and economically, emotions about human dignity in the face of like, uh, I mean, not everyone in the world is in, in the world in the movie is in poverty, as we tend to think about it. It's not a it's not that kind of film, but there are people for whom they're trying to make it work. And I think that's the majority of people uh, 
in the world are not folks who could just hang out in the coffee shop on a laptop all day, which mm. don't no shade if you can do that. Cause I <laughs> wish I could fucking do that. But um, they're people for whom they have to eat shit to live. And how do they maintain their dignity in the face of the shit eating? Uh, how do they be compassionate, loving people? Uh, that makes it sound stuffy, but it's so relatable and so goofy. Uh, but still with these, just these really poignant, real moments. I just think, uh, um, Regina Hall, not only should she get an award, she should get a million roles from this. I mean, I already had a lot of respect for her as an actress, um, but this is the first thing thing I saw her in that I could relate to in a way that was like not just appreciating good art or a fun performance, but in a personal way. I was like, oh, I've never been a scantily clad young lady at a sports <laughs> bar, but I get the idea of like, how do I get by? How do I make this work? How do I still be human you know so yeah yeah yeah. it's a great movie i can't recommend it enough i hope i'm not i don't want to blow it up too hard because you know um it's not a it's not a giant escapade it's not a tour de force it's a it's a quiet movie in a lot of ways but i think if you pay attention to it and you let it in it's going to be worth your time um yeah all right Uh, so that was definitely my what my my sort of biggest on track the only thing that I, i wanted to mention was um I've been watching a lot of that show, We Bear Bears, because I have a child, <laughs> and for some reason she's imprints on certain things. And We Bear Bears is a cartoon show that is, I don't think, meant for two-year-olds. I think that's a show for older children and possibly adults. But for whatever <laughs> reason, she's decided she likes the bears, and so when we go to watch something with her, she's just like, bears, bears, <laughs> bears. So we watch bears a lot. And I got to tell you, I don't mind. It's a really charming show. They make a lot of really smart um, pop culture references that are not done in a corny way that, like, you know, make it a more fun show. They do a lot of world building as the show goes on. And it's short episodes. So you can really, you know, let it let a few go by. And then, you know, you've you've really gotten a foothold in it. So (laughs) if you like things that are funny, if you like the idea of. Uh, three bears. There are three bears who are three different kinds of bears, but they've grown up together, so they call each other brothers. They live in the forest just outside of San Francisco, and so it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a TV show about nature, but also about the city. They are city bears. They live in nature, but they get on the bus and they go <laughs> eat sushi and they get jobs and you know they really like their cell phone and you know no one really acknowledges that for whatever reason they seem to be the only animals in all of nature <laughs> who can talk to humans all the other animals are just animals but they're just walking around chatting with people and no one thinks it's weird and i love that i love it i love it um they, they have very distinct personalities the voice actors are really great uh bobby moynihan as panda bear is really great um i just think it's a great show um Dimitri Martin as Ice Bear is really great. Wow, uh, Dimitri so, Martin, no shit. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, telling you, it's on the, it's on our thing. Check it out. It's a funny show. Again, it might not click at first. They're short episodes, but I think if you give it a few episodes, you start to get into it. And then when they do callbacks to the early episodes, it's always oh, just gold, 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 gold. gold. <laughs> so, uh, big fan, big fan. We Bear Bears. Uh, as far as whack, uh, you know. Just the world right now is particularly whack. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, all the news being bad. I'm not a fan of every day hearing about people sort of struggling, both people I know and people I don't know. Uh, so, you know, I, I put this out there just to say, like, if you're listening to this and this is your escape from how uh, shitty your life is, thank you for that. That's an honor. We take that seriously. And, uh, you know, I don't know that we can solve any of your 
shitty life problems, but we're definitely here to uh, uh, hopefully make it a little bit better. And uh, you know, well, I, I don't know. I just think I just think I want to take that aspect of being an entertainer in some sense seriously. Because, uh, you know, the things are hard right now. Things are fucking hard. And you're very entertaining. Well, I, I don't know about that. But <laughs> it, it, so people have expressed that they, they are entertained by us. So I will take that seriously, despite my own sense of uh, inadequacy. Oh, another thing I, fe- I failed to mention real quick. Um, Melani has been ensconced in the television show Riverdale. She's like, like dude, she's like down to like the last couple episodes and she started watching like last week just to give you an idea of how quickly she's burning through this show. And for for shits and giggles, I've been referring to it as a Rivendell, which uh, you'll remember from the Lord of the Rings, the elven realm in Middle Earth. Uh, Never heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ruled by Elrond, half elven. You know, don't know, don't know. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh man, you're watching Rivendell again. And Melanie's like, no, it's Riverdale. And she gets like real upset. Yeah. It's really, really fun. So that's on track. Uh, I I definitely liked the first season. I haven't gotten back into it, but related to Riverdale, of course, is the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, they are in the same universe. Uh, they even make reference to Riverdale on Sabrina. Uh, and I gotta say. I like that Sabrina show. I'm not going to lie. It's problematic. There's some problematic stuff on it, but I like that show. That's pretty funny, man. Pretty good. I think she's burning through them just to get to that Sabrina show, I think. But I can't be All sure. All right. I don't, they don't have that much crossover, but there's a few little things. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk to you, our wonderful audience, about two movies we truly love, Paris, Texas, And it's always fair weather. I keep forgetting the name, so I'm glad you jumped in. We'll be right back. (laughs) Okay.
Okay, we're back. And now we're going to discuss two movies that we like, but two movies that were featured on the now-defunct streaming service of Filmstruck. So uh, mm. I don't know about you, Liam. Like, I think I signed up for Filmstruck when you did. Is that true? Uh, I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, like we heard about it, and I was like, oh, shit, it's Turner Classic Movies, and it has like a bunch of Criterion stuff on there, and it's 10 bucks a month. I'm going for it. And I think uh, we had that discussion where we both were like, yeah, 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 it's totally worth it. We're doing this. I think that's true. I think we, we were excited to hear about it. I think some other people had had it for a little while, and when I started seeing them post about all the neat stuff they were watching, yeah, I was like, well, I should check it out, you know. Um, but – let me be honest here. I'm not surprised it's going away for two reasons. One, I think the actual app itself, and by that I don't mean the content, I mean the way the functionality of uh-huh. it, was a little clunky. It was not as smooth as some other apps that you can get on your Roku or Apple TV or whatever. And you couldn't get it on a video game system. You could only do it on a Roku or Apple TV or Oh, TV. I did not know that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I only found that out watching a video about it that, that I think maybe they were, had just added PlayStation, but you still couldn't get it on Xbox or something like that. Mm. So that's that's a bit of a bummer. Um, the other thing is, and maybe I'm alone in this. I don't know what your experience was. I didn't watch it nearly as much as I should. I definitely tried to watch it as often as I could. And I saw a lot of fun movies on it for the time that I had it, but I definitely could have watched it more. But I kind of feel like that for me is just part and parcel of me not having enough time to watch movies in general. You know what I mean? Like if I just had more time to sit down and watch a movie for two, two and a half hours or whatever, I probably would have just watched more off of that. But being that I don't have that kind of time a lot of the time, you know, because I'm doing X, Y and Z, I didn't utilize it to the best of my ability. But that said, I mean, I saw a ton of great movies off of that thing and I'm sad to see it go. I'm definitely sad to see it go, but I think you made better use of it than me. I I didn't use it nearly as much as I should have. And I think partly because what is appealing about it for me is that it has things on it that I don't necessarily think of or I don't necessarily go to. So it's it's it functioned for me kind of like a library card. Like the, I have plenty of pulp books and I can get whatever book at Barnes & Noble that I think of. But sometimes, um, sometimes having access to things that I wouldn't necessarily pick up in an obvious way uh, forces me to watch things that I might have ignored or not gone back to. And that was my experience with Filmstruck is that a lot of things were on there that I had been meaning to check out, but I either didn't have access to or um, I would kind of forget about because I would choose something easier or something that was more pulpy or more obvious. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas the things on Filmstruck were asking something of me. Uh, and I did see stuff on there. Well, I, I definitely didn't ignore the app, but I didn't use it nearly as much as I should have. So if anyone else who had it is like me, then I could see the numbers not being maybe where they wanted it. To One be. of the things that Filmstruck did, though, that I really took advantage of is that they had these lecture series from film scholars on there. Do you ever get a chance to watch any of those? I watched a couple uh, specifically by um, uh, Alonzo Duralde yeah. because – he, uh, I like his podcast. He has a podcast called Who Shot Ya uh, that I think is really great with April Wolf and Ricky Carmona. And uh, he has a podcast with his husband called Linoleum Knife, uh, which featured, I will say, friend of the show, though I don't know how much he likes me, <laughs> uh, Brian Murray. Brian Murray was on an episode. Um, 
And uh, I like Brian Murray a lot, but Brian, I think, it doesn't like me because apparently I was mean to him about movies once. Man, you so, got to stop being sorry, mean sorry, to people. Brian. I literally, actually, the real issue here is that I don't acknowledge that this event happened because <laughs> he described it to me and I said, I don't think I would do that. That doesn't sound like something I would do. Uh, and I said, well, if I did, I'm sorry. But I think he just got annoyed that I wasn't like aware because it was like a very clear memory to him of that time Liam said something mean to wow. me. And I was like, I don't remember doing that. And I think that actually made it worse. I'm not <laughs> sure. But he lives, I mean, he lives in California now. He's got a fabulous life. Uh, he doesn't need me in his life. So I don't judge. I don't judge it. I'd move on too. <laughs> but the point is, I like did listen to that episode he was on because I was very you know excited to hear him sort of on something and talking about TV and other things. So anyways, point being, Linoleum Knife is really great. And because I like both those podcasts, when I knew Alonzo was doing uh, some of these intros and talkabouts and whatever on Filmstruck, I searched for those specifically. And I even watched a couple of the movies that I hadn't seen just so I could watch his thing about yeah. it. Yeah, I thought that was really helpful, especially in terms of like when the uh, Bergman Centennial was happening. They had a lot of people talking about it. I don't know. I can't recall right now who it is that I watched specifically, but I definitely took the time to watch people's insights, uh, especially like the expert insights on stuff. And um also dealing with like the Czech New Wave stuff, there were a bunch of people that spoke on the movies of Vera Chitlova, who is in uh, uh, Daisies and um, a couple others I can't think of right off the top of my head. But um, I found that to be one of the more charming and interesting aspects of Filmstruck in general, that uh, it wasn't just here is content. It was here is uh, some critical discussion to help you along with understanding the content that you're taking in. And I, I know you've had film classes in college and everything. I haven't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have all of this is completely self-directed on my end. So I have no idea what I'm even talking about half the time, which is part and parcel of being friends with me. But in terms of film criticism, uh, it definitely gave me insight into things that the way these scholars thought about these movies that I love that were different from the things that I had known about going into the movies or things that I had come up with at the end of them. So I really, really appreciate whatever streaming service. I know Criterion has like a new streaming service that's coming out soon. Whatever happens next, I really hope that they keep this capacity of like uh, people discussing these movies as a feature and not just a commentary track, but like an actual dissection. Because I, I found that to be the most um, useful thing from Filmstruck for me. I agree. I think that aspect showed a lot of care and it was acknowledging that there were a lot of people who signed up for Filmstruck um, who didn't necessarily feel familiar with everything that was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That They went there to learn more and to see more. And I, and I think that's important. I also think after this whole Filmstruck thing, like, I hate to say it, but they should definitely friggin' nationalize this thing. There should be a goddamn library of congress archive where all of these movies that are past a certain point old just are available for people to see and i get like well we don't want to do that because they're product and we're trying to sell our product but there are plenty of films that are product that are disappearing because they can't figure out how to sell them so then they just go away and i just don't feel good knowing that all of this art just disappears and it's gone forever and now it's not part of our conversation anymore. Well, I mean, that's, there's Canopy. Do you know Canopy? It's true, but they don't necessarily have 
the access that you know to Criterion, yeah. or even more importantly, I think for Turner, Turner has the whole Warner archive. That's huge. Yeah, it's gigantic. And yes, you can get a bunch of that stuff through Canopy, but not everything. This is the problem: is that there's so much. It's kind of like um. You know, when you have friends, like we, we, you know, our friends at Exhumed, Harry Guerrero, he is this collector. And when I've talked to people about his collection, about him continuing to collect, there really is this attitude that people have that, like, he's going to run out. That, like, at some point, you can't keep going because there just aren't that many movies. That you, you can only have so many movies, or you can only be searching or scheming to find so many rare movies. At some point... All the rare movies are found, and that's it. Mm, mm, mm. Disagree. I don't think that that's true. I mean, it is obviously true mathematically. There is a limited amount. There's not in. There is not a, an unlimited resource here. But the problem is, we're all as a society pretty happy with what is a pretty small chunk of what's out there. That if you just give us this third of films that came out in the last 40 years, we're fine and we don't <laughs> ask any questions. And the reality is it's a very small percentage of what's out there. That's not to say every lost film or everything that, you know, is hard to find now is great. But some of those things are great and we can't assume uh, it, it, it Part of what's going on here is the assumption that in film, commercial success equals quality, and that is clearly not definitely not the case. Uh, And even if and and even if even if it were the case about a certain kind of artistic quality, that doesn't ignore the fact that like. For example, how do you find movies from people who weren't given the same chance? If we're talking about female directors or directors of color, like some of their films just. Because of racism and sexism uh, and heteronormativity, we're not given the same opportunities, the same chances. And so those movies also disappear. It's like when you look at, let's say, a venue like uh, the New Beverly, you know, one of the things they brought up on Lino- uh, most recent Linoleum Knife uh, that, that came from a, a female film scholar, uh, but they were repeating it, was this idea that, like, a place like the New Beverly ends up getting dominated by male filmmakers because those are the film prints that get preserved so like who is preserving the film prints or even striking new prints which we can still do of these sort of uh female directors who weren't given the same attention um so i i don't know i all this to say it films are important cultural objects that we should be attempting to preserve less than a hundred years they're you know lamenting the fact that they don't have these documents they don't have these uh various pieces of art that i think often are well worth seeing let alone preserve yeah i agree totally agree so to be fair the two things we chose are not these obscure <laughs> uh early century female directors or anything like that so i don't want you to make to, to pretend we really just wanted to more pick things that we appreciated for me um i picked paris texas uh and uh, you know that that's something that I uh, I was glad to have the opportunity to see because uh, though it is on Criterion I, I hadn't seen it on any streaming channels and I'd seen it once uh, when I was surprisingly young um, and didn't even remember most of it uh, so getting a chance to see it again was really a, a unique opportunity. Um, Josh, what, what? Why did you choose what you what you chose? Which, by the way, wh- as I mentioned before, was almost completely unfamiliar to me, if not for. Uh, Luke Besson. Well, you know that I'm a big Gene Kelly fan. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. Growing up, my, well, you know, my dad was a ballet dancer growing up, right? Yes. So uh, yes. the end result of that is that me and my brother watched uh, a whole lot 
of uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and uh, stuff like this. But in particular, my dad really loved the dancing of Gene Kelly because, you know, he's like very graceful and like he's very um, he's debonair and he can sing like the dude is awesome. And he was like my dad's like favorite of these movies. So I watched a lot of them. But um, I chose It's Always Fair Weather in particular because it is the one movie uh, that MGM produced of the musicals. It was the last one. And I felt that that was fitting for a discussion on the end of Filmstruck. And further, it's also a movie that is, um, it has all the trappings of a jaunty musical from the mid-50s, right? But every single thing that happens in the movie is dour. And they're, mm -hmm. they're singing around this, like, you know, I mean, the very first song is about them marching and all that stuff because they're, uh, for those unfamiliar with the movie, it's about uh, three uh, World War II GIs that uh, become civilians and then they meet at a bar and they're all friends and they say, we'll meet at the same bar in 10 years and uh, hopefully we'll see where we are then and I bet we'll still be friends and all that stuff. So um, things don't exactly go the way they planned. They do meet up in the 10 years, but things aren't like the same, right? Like they've changed in the 10 years. But um, every single thing that happens in the movie, if you took the music away from it, much like Dancer in the Dark, it is so dark and so sad. You know what I mean? And uh, But that said, it's still presented in this like strange and shiny juxtaposition of a way that it feels like a feel-good movie if you're watching it, right? But yeah. Yeah. every single thing that happens is fucking sad. And I, I felt that that was an appropriate statement on the end of Filmstruck. And uh, mm. I that's why I picked it. So uh, let's start with this movie, um, partly because for me... It was a complete unknown. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I know. I mean, I basically know who Gene Kelly is. Right. That's about my experience. Um, and I've just avoided these kind of 50s glamour musical sort of things because of the very thing you were saying of this sort of like positive kind of cloying thing. I don't. You know, this kind of music isn't my kind of music. This kind of dancing isn't my kind of dancing. Um, even the, the folks in it, they feel like just foreign creatures to me. I don't understand how they think or how they talk. I don't understand mm -hmm. the context they're in. Everything about it feels kind of alien. Um, and so I've avoided them. For me, a, a musical I might be stoked on more would be something like The Wiz. Uh, and so it's like, okay, here we are. You know, I'm, I'm presented with this thing. I've got these... The three white GIs walking through this, you know, incredibly white New York. <laughs> uh, let, let's see where this goes. And I got to say, it didn't take long for me to get sucked in. Um, part of uh, the charm of this movie for me is uh, where these characters end up. Gene Kelly is basically a criminal. Yeah. I mean, he's a no good no goodness <laughs> you know he's they, they they they're sort of vague about some of the extent of his criminality but he's certainly not a stand-up citizen i'm i'm in i already like it he's a charming criminal i'm into then we've got the little mousy guy who's whose name i forget yeah. um and and he is so just uh uh you know they keep calling him An a yokel yeah. or a his name is red angelo or, you know Angelo. Yeah, yeah, Angelo. He's from Schenectady. He runs a burger joint. I just his goofy sort of because it's it's it is like a like a local yokel sort of thing, but in a very New York way. Mm -hmm. And that I like. I like that. It, he's not like, 
all right, y'all, go, <laughs> like some Southern caricature. He is this sort of, and and the idea that this dude whose accent you might misplace is a totally New York City accent, because these people are more, quote unquote, metropolitan, they're kind of judging him being from Schenectady and mm-hmm. of the earth and whatever, whatever. Um, and then I love the, the marketing guy, even though as a character, I don't love him. He kind of was the one that I didn't like as a person. Mm-hmm. His story could be taken as, such a direct critique of capitalism yeah. that I was not expecting that. In <laughs> fact, the whole movie has such an implied, uh, again, not direct, but a kind of oblique opportunity for criticizing, you know, war, American empire, uh, capitalism, television and entertainment. There's just all these implied things that go into yeah. it that the movie doesn't have a sharp tooth about. It is telling an entertaining story, but at the time, I mean, people weren't stupid. Yeah. They included these things because they cared about them. They might not have been, uh, you know, uh, anti-capitalist types like myself, but they were people who were worried about these things, and that's why they worked them in in these things. Yeah, in, in the film, the way they did. I think that guy's story um, is like the most tragic out of all of them. And like, yeah. the scene. So his his character is named uh, Doug Hallerton, and there's a scene where uh, he's at that party and he gets drunk, and then it turns into this big dance sequence. But that's rooted in him discovering that he doesn't think like he he's a good person for his wife and like all this like he thinks he's like a bad friend and all this other stuff. And that's yep. what leads him yep. to drinking as much as he does. And then the consequent like it's a literal like played for laughs kind of dance sequence, but it's truly born of a tragic moment in this dude's like life. Oh, mm-hmm. what a fucking movie. Right. Like that's well, even crazy. even the. Even the catharsis of the movie. So, of course, they're all going through these various kind of, you know, screwball things. But they're, you know, dark things. There's, a you know, Gene Kelly's character with the, the fight. Oh, yeah. He's a fight promoter and he's getting screwed over and he ends up knocking out the guy he's supposed to be coaching. And then the criminals are coming for him. And the big catharsis is they, they go to this event where... Um, they're supposed to be this like charming story of these soldiers getting back together. And they're just honestly like, no, it wasn't like that at all. It was terrible. And we, we don't relate anymore. And this is actually like a bad experience. A, the honesty is part of what brings them together. That he honestly names that like he feels like a bad person and that they don't relate to each other that well anymore. That's part of the healing. But then the fact that they get into a giant brawl with these gangsters is like you, you could say like, oh, that's just a goofy 50s, whatever. But it it's kind of not. It's kind of, again, dark and a little like, I don't know. It's you know what it is. It's a kind of um, how do I put this? It's got kind of an outlaw, nefarious. There's like a, a scoundrelness to the movie. Yeah. It's like as close to being a scoundrel as you can be without being a bad guy. That's what the movie does with these characters. And it's charming because it's Gene Kelly, but it's also kind of glorifying something that you would don't associate with 1950s society. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there are people who saw this movie and were offended. Like, GIs don't turn out like this. You <laughs> it's, know? it's actually oh, blah, 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 blah. It's really interesting to consider its reception. I don't really know anything about that, honestly. But, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. uh, so... The, the one thing about this movie is that it's supposed to be like a continuation of another musical called On the Town. Have you seen that one? No. That one starred Gene Kelly, again, in kind of like this role of like a World War II dude. And it, it's there's sailors in that movie. And it's um, Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra 
is in the role of Angelo. But I mean, not that it's the same character. They decided to change it because at the time that this movie was filmed, 55, Sinatra had become a bigger star than what he was at the in, during the filming of On the Town. And um, so it was him. And then there was another uh, big doofy character that was supposed to be the Hallerton character. And uh, On the Town is a story about three sailors that come to New York City on a one-day furlough before going to war. And they're trying to find love and like so on and so forth, but they have to get on this boat to go to war. And... Um, in the same sense that this has like this weird tragic charm to it, that movie has it as well. And this is supposed to be a sequel to that, like the three guys later, ten years after the war. So um, there's, they, there's a weird backstory to it. But that said, that uh, all these constraints, they changed it from being in the navy to being in the army, and like you know, they they recast the characters of uh, the one tall guy who's in on the town and Frank Sinatra. And uh, but I still think that like ultimately the story works really really well. Um, and I, this is Gene Kelly in his top form. Also, Sid Charisse is in this movie. And um, I don't know what your history with Sid Charisse is, but for me, there's a, a dance sequence at the end of another Gene Kelly movie called Singing in the Rain, where um, you know Gene Kelly is like kind of getting his like creative legs back. And he's like, we should do this one dance, dance sequence that we'll add to the movie. And it's going to be called um, Broadway Melodies. And Sid Charisse dances opposite Gene Kelly in that thing. And it's a very... Um, exemplar of the time dance sequence that it's very grand and there's like huge set pieces and they have all this wardrobe changes and Gene Kelly like has this like story arc for the character as he goes through the dance movement and then Sid Charisse appears and she's with gangsters and she's flipping coins and then they do this beautiful dance and it's just awesome but seeing Sid Charisse in this movie like because I only had seen Singing in the Rain with her. I hadn't seen any other movies with her, but I knew that she was like a big part of that release and that like a lot of people were like really excited about her. So I was like seeing her in this movie, um, like, you know, actually acting and not just dancing. I was uh, I was transfixed. I mean, even though like, you know, the character wasn't really like it's viewed through 2018 eyes. It's like a weird like, oh, yeah, she's like a sports person. But like. Uh, just seeing her do more than just the dancing without a speaking role, which is what she did in Sing in the Rain, I was uh, definitely way into it to watch her on the screen. Yeah. Man, I do love Citrice, though. God damn. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think um, if you're looking for wokeness, this is not, not the movie to watch. No. The, the female characters are not the best painted, but they're also still charming. They're just not the most dynamic. I will say her scene, uh, if I'm thinking of the right person, is this the, uh, this is the woman with the boxers? Yep, that's her. She's great. And that scene stood out to me more than, even though she's good in the whole movie, that scene stood out to me for a number of reasons. One, I love the way they portray these boxers. Like we're so used to boxers looking a certain way. Some of these dudes don't even look like they're in shape. Yeah. They're just <laughs> ugly dudes. And it's just really, I just thought it was funny to see not not that this is fair to boxers, but it's just funny to see that sort of weird thing in this film. I just thought like, wow, this is definitely of a time. Yeah. Um, but that whole dance sequence I thought was super charming. It's so really gorgeous, great. right? Like and, it's so and beautiful. The Gene Kelly roller skate sequence that I brought up earlier as being why I kind of knew anything about this movie. It's a beautiful scene. It's a really amazing scene. Now that I know you know so much about these musicals and you like them, we need to cover more musicals. Dude, I love the them so much. The reason I never much. suggest them. I never suggest them because I know nothing about them. But if you if you feel like you can talk about them, we should do it more. So oh yeah, that, that could be something we do more here on Cinepunks. But um, 
uh, yeah, as, as something that I was unfamiliar with uh, and I went in kind of skeptical, I was really happy you suggested this. This was entertaining as someone who doesn't usually like musicals, who doesn't love this kind of music or these kind of dance numbers. I was still entertained the entire time and uh, really kind of sucked into the story so that when it when it ended, I was very satisfied. I really felt like, you know, there's nothing deep here per se, but I think we sort of named it's still unexpected. And and you could pull from it some interesting questions if, if you care to do yeah. that. Uh, but if you just want an entertaining, fun movie with some good really good i think dance sequences this is the this is a good one to watch the the other thing about the dance sequences in particular uh when gene kelly is tap dancing that's like his forte like this jazzy tap thing that he does and you can watch his face during these sequences and see how at ease he is with these like uh it's a physical genius that i can't really i don't know you know what i mean like it's a thing that i see and i'm like wow that's a really hard thing to do especially doing it on roller skates like what the shit right and he's just so masterful in its execution that you can't help but be transfixed or at least i can't i i find it to be very entertaining and very edifying like i love it so much man yeah, Filmstruck did a whole thing on Gene Kelly, so that's why I knew it was on there. But they had other movies. At the time that uh, I went to look for this on there, they had other movies before that were gone. Like, I know that Brigadoon was on there, and I know that um, uh, the one where he dances with uh, with Jerry, the Tom and Jerry character, it's like a weird him dancing sure. with a cartoon thing. But um, yeah, I fucking I love this movie. I really, really adore it. Well, let's move to Paris, Texas, just because I know we have time concerns. Right. Um, I actually, I'd uh, never so, seen it before. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, my oh, God. So we both picked something that the other person hadn't seen. What did you think as a first-time viewer? Now, I, I, you know I've loved Harry Dean Stanton for a long time. This is yeah. just another reason to truly, truly adore the work that that man has done on film. I love this movie from top to bottom. I mean, I don't know what your relationship with Vim Vendors is. I've only seen Wings of Desire. But as we had mentioned previously, I really love Bruno Gans. And that was one of the movies why I love Bruno Gans. And man, dude, I thought this movie looked beautiful. I mean, there were a couple things that kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable, like like the timeline of events and all that stuff. Like It just feels like certain things don't add up in, in terms of like who the lady is and the child and... and uh, Travis and the Travis character and but overall I thought it was a very um, touching movie it was a movie that I definitely felt um, like it's a movie about redemption ultimately though right and it's a movie about an, an acceptance of of self and I don't really know like how I felt about the ending Oh really? Yeah, that that part really disturbed me. Like, so I, I, it, it gets to a point where I'm not sure if Harry Dean Stanton is leaving because he accepts the fact that he's a bad person, or like, I, I don't really. I, the the ending had me feeling like you do all this emotional work to think that you can bridge these gaps between who you are and who you, who you were, but the ending felt more finite than that. Does that make sense? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what do you mean? Well, because he leaves. And he, he yeah. leaves with the the mother and the child together, and he just he bounces. And it's like, dude, this whole story is the fact that you were gone for four years and that, you know, before this, apparently, like, you find out in the exposition in the last scene uh, that like, he was he turned into a monster. And but the thing is that, like, so, OK, I get it. And he feels as though that the son should be with the mother. But then why leave? 
See, I, I feel the exact opposite. Go ahead. I think that it only makes sense if he leaves. If he sticks around, then it, inevitably he becomes a monster again. That there's no way around that, that who he is. that To me, it's there's a difference between a redemption story and a transformation story. Mm-hmm. This isn't a movie in which he becomes a different person. I mean, uh, this, I think, addresses some of your concerns about their age difference. It was always wrong for them to be together, period, end of sentence. Mm. That's the story. Their whole relationship is a mistake from day one. And there's no changing that. He's not suddenly going to be a different person. She's not suddenly going to be older. Uh, The reality is simply this, that they have, uh, because of who he is and the pain he feels, he's now put a wedge between her and her child. And that is Whoa, wow. And so for me, he has to go, period. Any other ending, in my mind, is some sentimental bullshit. That just isn't okay. It doesn't work, and it doesn't take seriously uh, what's going on with him. Now, uh, uh, again, if he was written differently, if he was a different person, then maybe I'd I'd feel differently. Mm -hmm. And it is sad. I mean, it'd be great if he could just be a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, And and if uh, the situation was such that they could just be a happy family. But I think they're already past that point. The only thing that is difficult about the movie for me is more like, his other family really that that the mom and and you know his his adoptive mom and dad the dude's brother and his wife they're still part of his life too yeah you know and so like yeah it's good that he reunites them um but i hope the suggestion is not like she is in some sense more legitimate Mm -hmm. because i don't think i i don't think that's what the movie's saying but i want to make that clear that it's not a legitimacy thing it's that there's no real reason that they can't be in a relationship Mm -hmm. they they, that that they don't have to be uh estranged the way that they are um but then again on the other hand i don't I think it's also true for either one of us that the film doesn't need actually to be wrapped up. Maybe the story is Mm -hmm. that he just, he should be with them, but he just can't. And he leaves. Um, It doesn't change the fact that it's a very beautiful movie. And I, and I should say that, that for me, I think the movie sort of makes sense uh, for the character. And that's what I make of it. That I think that he, he just can't be with them. I, I don't think the point of the movie is that um, my version makes sense. I think the movie is ambiguous. My version is that he can't be with them. He still is dealing with this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's he's changed in the sense that he brings them together, but he just doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to be together as a family in that way. That's my version. Other people can disagree with me. That's fine. But I think the movie, even if it's this tragic story about his failure that he can't, get it together to be the dad that he should be, if that's really what the movie's about too, mm-hmm. then that doesn't change anything. It's still beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Beautifully told, visually compelling, with a performance from Harry Dean Stanton that I think is... Masterful. Absolutely a, a masterful. A lifetime great. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. But I also like Dean Stockwell in there as uh, the yeah, brother. Yeah, Dean Stockwell's great. Walt, yeah. uh, he plays Walt. Dude... He is so endearing in this movie because you feel the pain that he is uh, emoting at the loss of a brother for four years. And it feels so heartfelt watching him go through it. And um, 
it was funny. When I saw him, I was like, oh, it's Dr. Huey from uh, Dune. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked him and the and the French uh, mom, that the wife for, that he was married to. Um, Aurora Clement played Anne. But, um, yeah, this movie is amazing. It is visually stunning. And... Um, it might be actually one of my favorite Natasha Kinski performances. Yeah, dude, she was great in it too. She's so good. It's just a, such a, it's an important role, but it's a small amount of screen time that she destroys, that she just like yeah. makes her own, you know? But I think uh, the, the story itself too, like I do think that there is an arc to his character. I mean, he's punishing himself so much that he doesn't relate to other humans. Mm. And now he has, even if he can't, recreate some sort of family unit with them he has spent time with them he has interacted with them he has made some sort of connection with them which before he couldn't connect to another human being yeah he couldn't even Um, talk to people yeah yeah so so i think there is i don't want to make it sound like it's a story that he's in the same place he was at the beginning of the movie i just don't think that that kind of healing necessitates now that you are a good or uh a fit person. Trustworthy partner. Yeah. yeah like yeah, yeah. I, I think the movie is just very clear about that. So um, how did you feel? Know, it, how did you feel about the uh, sequence when he's talking to Nastasha Kinski through the mirror? Like the first interaction that they have was so frustrating to me. It was yeah. difficult. And uh, I get that that was the point of the scene that it shows like his inability to connect to somebody who he's created life with. But then when it comes back, it just seems so callous and so cold because he turns his back to her. Oh, my God. And she's crying. It's such a brutal scene, man. So see, brutal. I didn't find it. I didn't find it callous at all. I felt the exact opposite. Really? That I, is a scene of of ultimate compassion and and a real sort of bravery. Uh, I get me. the bravery thing. But I mean, the distance necessary for him. Yeah, to because when he her. sees her. No, 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 because it's turned it's turned in him. The bit he has this and of course he does. He has this bitterness. He has this anger. He has this uh, feeling of rejection and pain. Seeing her upsets him. And so the only way he can get to the point where they can connect at all, where he can be honest and reveal himself and really say what he's feeling is if he Mm -hmm. doesn't see her. And and at the end, when he can see her and tell her where her their son is and 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 wish her well in some sense, that is, to me, the most you could expect. Wow! Anything more than that would be fake. It would not be real. I really lo- I really loved the shot with his reflection over her yep. face. Yep. Oh my I god! Agree. So beautiful. The the visuals in this movie are so subtle for the most part. I mean, some of the obviously cross country stuff. Whenever you get a European shooting a movie in America, <laughs> they're going to show you the sky and all that stuff. So that's there. Right. Yeah. But but a lot of the visual things in the movies are actually kind of in this movie is actually kind of subtle, uh, but really well done. Yeah. You know, like it's not like, like him him wearing the red shirt and the son wearing yep. the red shirt and them chasing the red yep. car. Like that scene to me, I thought that was really interestingly done. I thought that yep. uh, wow that that the like it's a weird uh, nod to the connection I felt between the three characters, and uh, yep. I, I really like that. God, Vin Vendors, man, it's a great it's a great movie. If if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend getting the 
Criterion uh, disc of it. Um, as you said, hopefully it'll end up on the Criterion channel, and so you'll be able to stream it soon if you want. But I think this is one worth investing in uh, if yeah. you don't have it. I don't have a copy, and after rewatching it for this, I was like, I need to own this movie because this is something I could watch regularly and, and feel good about. So. Yeah, it's such a good movie. Thank you for making me watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I loved I'm it so much. I got a chance to cover it. I, I think... Uh, I think there's probably more that could be said about it, but for me personally, I think it's it's the sort of movie that actually it would be better to let people kind of experience what, yeah. what's going on there. I mean, uh, again, I guess we kind of spoiled the end if you haven't seen it, but I don't know. I, in this case, I don't think this is about that. This isn't a, mm-hmm. a movie where you're on the edge of your seat waiting to see what's going to happen. I think it's it's more about the experience of watching it and seeing, seeing it for yourself. Seeing the generation of that character. Yeah. Oh, it's devastating. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, uh, thank you, Filmstruck, for, you know, what you were. And hopefully we will have more things in the future that will be um, sort of fill the hole that you have left. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, if you care about film preservation, maybe get involved with that. That's something I don't know what we can do. I don't know what Cinepunks can do. But uh, I know that one of the things that I that Cinepunks did and Josh did was uh, in supporting uh, the spot. Uh, that's going to be, it's called, or no, I'm sorry. The, the space. space, the space. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely Harry's collection is more genre film. I don't know if we're going to get, you know, uh, Paris, Texas in there per se, but, <laughs> uh, but I think that it's the same idea that, uh, these movies are going to go away if people aren't willing to put the money in to keep them around and the space are, are on the side, side of the side of the angels when it comes to that. And I appreciate that a lot. Also, sign um, up sign up to be a charter member of the new Criterion Films uh, streaming service that's going to be coming up that will rise like the phoenix from the ashes of Filmstruck. So uh, I yeah. believe if you go to Criterion.com right now, you can sign up to be a charter member. And then once the streaming service is available, you'll be uh, the first to know and be the first uh, to be able to subscribe to it at a discounted rate for the year. And uh, I've already signed up to be a charter member, and I think that uh, Criterion is a company that we can support. Uh, yep. because they're doing most very important work for cinephiles like us. It's true. So, uh, hey, thanks for listening to episode 88. Uh, check us out on Facebook, um, at, you know, sla- facebook.com slash Cinepunks. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Cinepunks. And uh, check us out on Instagram at Cinepunks, all with an X. Um, also go to Cinepunks.com for some uh, very engaging Film writing. I just published a new piece up there. Nick Spacek is always publishing stuff. Um, check it out. Uh, and you will find our other podcasts there. Uh, sister shows like um, Horror Business, Wine and Cheese, The Mandate, Mandate um, Black Sun Dispatches. Go there and uh, support those other podcasts as well. Uh, and, and know that we love you and we glad, we're glad that you want to be part of what we're doing, that you listen to these shows and that um, you show us that you care about us by reposting, retweeting, uh, rating, review, subscribe, whatever you got, you can do to help us out. We love you and we appreciate that. Thank you so much to everybody who bought T-shirts, who are Patreon subscribers. Uh, we definitely wouldn't be doing this without you. So thank you. All right. Uh, we'll see you again. See you? you will hear, <laughs> you'll hear us again soon. <laughs> yes, you will. Thank you so much. Smoke bomb. Smoke bomb. You know what makes me feel like a loser? What? America's Hardcore Fest was this weekend. Oh, yeah? And 
I looked on Instagram and I didn't see any video from it. That means I'm no longer friends with anyone cool enough to go to that fest. <laughs> How about the fact that I knew the Big Bopper song just from you going, hello, baby? Well, that's the most famous line from the song. Yeah, but it's also kind of a weird thing to reference a song from 1956 just out of the blue and me know what it was. Also, no, I, don't, I don't think so. The reason that I know it is because of its place in the movie La Bamba, because as you know, the Big Bopper died in the same plane crash that Richie Valens died in. And I'm wearing a La Bamba t shirt right now. That movie's so bad, though, dude. No, it's not, dude. Oh, it's really bad. It is not. It's a bad No. Movie. Not only does it, su- does, it, does it feature at the top of his game, LDP, Lou Diamond Phillips, but also. Isai Morales in his most iconic role. Bob. El Bob, Liam. Hello, El Bob, baby. Liam. El Bob. Okay. 